this morning was a bit hectic. <laughs> we, uh, the, my uh, firstborn, Charlotte, was in um, where was it? Cincinnati last night with uh, Eugene and Tracy for uh, Jillian's basketball game. So she got back late last night. We were up late last night. Uh, and then this morning, trying to get two kids ready, and uh, it, it was just hectic. So then driving here, I, I got to the point where I said, sweetheart, I, I got to go. <laughs> I'll meet you there. Um, so I got in my truck. I started heading down here. I'm thinking, okay, now I can breathe a little bit. And I got stuck behind somebody that must have been sightseeing because they were going about 10 miles an hour pointing out each window to somebody that was in the passenger seat. So, But once I walked in this door, I kind of felt all that just dissipate, kind of disappear, seeing all of you. Um, so uh, happy to be here. Um, continue to pray for Kate. She's, she's still got some um, issues going on with her, her sinuses. We went to two doctors on Friday, and she's been in a lot of pain. So um, just keep her in your prayers. Uh, today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. And if you haven't noticed, uh, Charlotte's a little rambunctious this morning. So she might put on a show. So Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. If you're physically able, I'd ask that you stand. As we read God's word. Luke 14. Starting in verse 1. And it came to pass. As he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees. To eat bread on the Sabbath day. That they watched him. And behold there was a certain man before him. Which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. It's a beautiful day outside and it's always a beautiful day in your house. We just pray that you'll be with us. Guide us, Lord. Please speak through me. Don't let me be a stumbling block between your word and our hearts. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you have your way with us today uh, as we learn your word. Impress on our hearts what you want us to learn this week, Lord, so we can take it with us throughout the rest of the week. It's all these things we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a seat. So this is, uh, I was talking to Kate earlier in the week. And uh, she asked what I was going to be preaching on. I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I haven't, I, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to have the word come to you. And when it touches your heart, you know it, and that's what you want to um, share. And I said, uh, a couple days later, I said, I think I've found out what I want to preach on. I, I think it's, God's laying it on my heart. I said, I think the title would be, uh, Jesus is a bad uh, um, dinner guest. Jesus, the bad dinner guest. Uh, and the reason I say that is not because he's a bad dinner guest, but because the people that had invited him there were not expecting him to say what he was about to say to them. 
So what we have here in the beginning of, of chapter 14 is Jesus was invited to a high Pharisee's house, uh, one of the high religious leaders, and the Jewish leaders. And he was invited there on the Sabbath, it says, to eat bread. But that's not really why they invited him there. Because the very next line it says, they watched him. We see this throughout scripture, that these Pharisees are following Jesus around, jealous of the attention that he's having, and they're watching him, waiting for him to trip up and do something that would be against their laws. So in verse 2, uh, it says they have a man that shows up also at this uh, banquet or dinner uh, who has dropsy. This is not an affliction of clumsiness. Dropsy is actually when tissues in your body fill up with water that is typically caused by kidney trouble, a heart problem, or liver disease. And it can be very painful. Now they had him there because they knew that Jesus couldn't just stand by and watch somebody suffer. But they also knew, according to their own laws, that he shouldn't do anything about it on the Sabbath day. Because on the Sabbath day, they weren't supposed to work. In verse 3, it says, Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Jesus knows the law, so why would he ask if it was lawful? Why would he ask these Pharisees if it was lawful? Jesus was now trapping the Pharisees. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we, we, I preached on uh, the adulterous woman. And they had brought this adulterous woman into the temple where Jesus was preaching. And they said, uh, we've caught her in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we should stone her. But what do you say? So they were trying to trap him between, okay, is he going to follow Moses' law and have her stoned? And then the people will see that he's really not a man of the people, that he's not one to forgive. Or is he going to go against Moses' law and tell her that she's fine, that they, she's not to be stoned? Well, in this situation, he's turning the tables on them. Because he's saying, is it legal for me to heal on the Sabbath? First of all, none of them could heal. Only Jesus could heal. But what he wanted them to, the position he was putting them in was, if they said, no, you may not heal on the Sabbath, it would break Sabbath law, then they would be seen as heartless when somebody could be healed of their pain and suffering. If they said no, they would be looked upon as being mean and cruel. But if they said, yes, you may heal, then they'd be going against their own laws that they had created. So he asked if it was lawful. In this time, the Pharisees were the high religious leaders, and they thought so highly of themselves that they sometimes added to God's word. And if they didn't add to it, oftentimes they would finagle his word, they, 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 would, they would change his word. They felt that they were in such a position of authority that they had the right to do such a thing. In the Bible... Exodus 31, 14, Exodus 20, 8 through 11, Leviticus 23, 3, and Deuteronomy 5, 14 all tell us that we are not to work on the Sabbath day, that we are to keep that holy that is a day for God. But that is all it says. It says work. Now, it's the Pharisees that ended up defining what the work was. They said you can't walk more than a half a mile. 
That would be considered work. You can't start a fire. You can't bake. Even today, it, it, you're not allowed to drive a car. It's gotten to the point where you can't touch an elevator button. They actually have what they call a Shabbat elevator, which means that because the Jewish people aren't allowed to hit the elevator button to take them to the floor that they need to go to, the elevator runs automatically. And it just stops at every floor all the way up, just so they don't have to touch the button. The reason they don't want to touch the button is because when they do, it completes a circuit, which often will start a spark, which means it's a fire. They're also not allowed to write. And they feel like if they hit that button on the elevator and it puts the number of the floor on the little display panel, that's writing. So what they'll do is they'll have the elevators stop at every floor. So if you live on the 30th floor, you might as well not even bother going out for the day because you're going to stop at every floor on the way up. Now, there are some ways around these types of things. They're not allowed to ask any Gentiles uh, to hit a button because you're, now they're putting somebody else to work. And we see in the Old Testament, they're not allowed to have a brother, a sister. Um, even your donkey is not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So you, they weren't allowed to ask. But what they could do to get around this is to say, would you like to come up to our place for a drink or something to eat as a way of luring somebody to your, your place? It's just one of these ways around it. So these Pharisees back then were making up laws or they were adding to God's word in ways that God had not intended. We see that while these Pharisees were following Jesus around and, and, and seeing when he would do things on the Sabbath that he wasn't supposed to, he, he healed a man that was uh, blind from birth, and um, he, he had healed a, a, a woman that had been crippled. He healed somebody that had a, a, a um, blood disease and, and somebody that had a, a bad hand. But they also saw when Jesus allowed his disciples to pick grain, and eat the grain. They said, you're not allowed to pick grain. Why are you allowing your disciples to do this on the Sabbath day? And what he told them was, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. So what's happening here is the Pharisees are going above and beyond what God had intended for the law to be. I think it's easy for us to sit back and look at the Pharisees and say, oh, how dare they? misinterpret the law? How dare they add to the law? How dare they try to change God's word to fit their wants and beliefs? But I, th I think we still have people that do that today. How many times have you ever heard someone say about the Bible, oh, well, times have changed. That might have meant something to them uh, back then, 2,000 years ago. But today, God understands the times have changed. We, we don't need to keep that law. Wives, submit to your husbands. How many times do you hear them say, I don't think so. <laughs> that was back then, not now, not today, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and give yourself up for her. Really? Do I have to do that? Yes, we do. Right? A lot of times we just look at these laws and we think they're archaic, they're old. They, they were meant for people that were living in a different society in a different time, going through different things in life than we are today. Those laws don't apply to us anymore. I don't think that's any different from what the Pharisees were doing. What about when someone does something to you? Somebody maybe steals from you. Maybe they lie about you. Maybe they do something against your family. Maybe they kill your dog. 
They do something so bad to you, so heinous to you, that you just can't forgive them. You can say, God understands. I don't need to associate with that person. God understands that I don't need anything to do with that person. That person is my enemy. I don't want anything to do with them. I don't have to forgive him. Like in Matthew 18, where a man is talking to Jesus, and he says, uh, how many times must I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus says what? Seventy times seven. Right? But surely, if somebody is so bad to me, God, God understands that if I, I, I can't forgive him. But are we sure about that? Because that's not what God's word says. In Matthew 5, 44, it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It doesn't sound to me that God is okay with us changing his word and interpreting it the way we want. How about hell? I think uh, that's another subject that makes people uncomfortable. So let's just get rid of that. The concept of hell, some people might say, was a way to scare people, a scare tactic, into getting them to give their heart and lives to Jesus. They think, let's twist God's words to explain it away so that we can all sleep better at night. We still do this today and call ourselves Christians. This is supposed to be a so simple, this word is supposed to be so simple that a child can understand it. We need to stop trying to see things that aren't there just because we disagree with God. It's okay to disagree with God. It doesn't matter <laughs> what you think. But we all see things that we would think we would want to do things differently. If somebody came to me and they said, Brother Ben, I married this woman and I just found out that she cannot cook. She can't boil water. She can't make ice. She, I, I, I can't live this way. I, 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 need, I need somebody else. I, you live your life. I, I don't know what to tell you. I can tell you what God has to say, right? What I think about things and what God thinks about things can be completely different. And it's okay to disagree. But it's never okay to change his word to try and fit my beliefs. Don't change God's word because you don't like the way it makes you feel. So what happens in verse 4? Jesus ends up healing the man. He heals him. And then in verse 5, he gives a scenario to the Pharisees. He said, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? He gives them a scenario where he knows that they would break their law and they know that they would break their law. In some of the translations you might read that it says, uh, uh, if your son fell in a well, what would you do? Of course, you would pull out that ox or your son out of the well. You're not going to look down at your son in the well and say, I can't help you. Let me throw down some floaties for you, and I'll get you out tomorrow evening. That, that's not what you would do. You would work on the Sabbath day, and that's what he's trying to uh, get across to them here. So what he does after healing this man is he tells them a parable. I love parables. Parables are just uh, a story with a deeper meaning. So I'm going to read the, the first parable here. It says, 
And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, those that were invited. When he marked how they chose out the chief's rooms, so what he's seeing is the way they come in. When the people come into the banquet, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get closer to the head table. Right? They, they, they wanted, because the closer you sit to the head of the table, to the host that's um, invited everyone, you're seen as in a higher position. You're seen as, as, as more powerful, more worthy. So he's, they may not belong there. So he's trying to show them that trying to lift yourself up is not the way God wants you to do it. So this is the parable he tells them. When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding... Sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden to him. And he that bade thee and him come to say to thee, give this man place, and thou begin to shame and take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher, then in the shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. What he's telling them is, in, in verses 8 through 10, he's saying um, something that people could understand because it's based on superficial, a superficial level. Right? He's saying, if you go in and you sit at the head of the table, near the most honored people. And somebody comes up to you and says, I'm sorry, somebody a little more important than you is here. Do you mind scooting down? You're going to be very embarrassed. But he's saying, if you sit at the end of the table, further down where the, maybe the less important people, according to their society, would sit, and somebody says to you, no, no, you belong up here with us, then you will feel exalted. You will feel happy. You will feel honored. It should be a good feeling. So the first part is superficial. But he's not saying to them that if you think you belong at the head of the table, that you should sit at the low end. Okay? He's not talking about false humility here. You are not God, and we can't fool God, Right? God, is, God knows our hearts. If you look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh at the outer appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So what he's saying is, even if you do sit at the end of the table, down at the far end of the table, and you think, I belong at the top. God knows your heart. God knows that you're, you're showing false humility. That you don't, you're not really humbling yourselves. You're waiting for somebody to lift you up so that you can be celebrated. Verse 11 has a deeper meaning. Verse 11 says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He's, talk, he's telling us to humble ourselves and allow God to, to lift us up. So, after confronting uh, the guests with this parable, Jesus turns his attention to the host, right? After he's talked to everybody else uh, that has been invited or obeyed, 
has been invited to the uh, feast and really kind of puts them in their place with this parable. He turns his attention to the host. And this is what he says to the host. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. <clears throat> so what he's telling the, uh, the host of this banquet is, I see all these people that you've invited here. All these people have money. All these people are on your level. They're your friends. What's going to happen here is because you've invited them to your banquet, to your dinner, to your house, they're going to return the favor. And it's just going to go back and forth. <laughs> so, uh, so Jesus knows the host only invited the guests for two reasons. Either to repay them or to eventually be repaid, to be into their debt. So how does Jesus correct them in verses 13 and 14? He's telling them, uh, the host and us, to help the less fortunate out of the kindness of our hearts. Don't worry about being repaid here. Verse 13 says, But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. He's saying, help people that can't return the favor to you. Because when you are repaid, it will be in heaven, right? Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 20, it says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So he's saying, do these things out of the kindness of your own heart, so that you may be rewarded later in heaven. Now, before we get into the second parable, I want you to think about what has just happened. Okay? He's, in the, he's invited this banquet on the Sabbath. He heals a man, and nobody says a word. If we had a man rolling here on a wheelchair, and, and I was able to, say, stand up and walk, we'd all, you'd be amazed. He just healed a man in front of everybody, and nobody says a word. Nobody seems to care. After that, he then goes on to see that all these people are coming in and trying to lift themselves up and look haughty in front of everybody else, make themselves look more important than they really are. Then he goes on to tell them what's wrong with them. And then he goes on to tell the host what he's doing wrong. But they still don't seem to get the message. Verse 15, uh, this man stands up, says, and one of them that sat at the meat, as somebody that was there with them, uh, heard these things. He said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He doesn't get it. He said, yeah, we feel bad for those people. But lucky for us, we're going to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. We're all going to heaven because we're these high Jewish leaders. So he didn't get it. So Jesus told them a second parable that was uh, to be a picture of salvation. I love this parable. It says, uh, Then said he unto them, this is Jesus talking to them, uh, 
A certain, this is the parable. A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are ready now. They, uh, and they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So basically what, what's happening here is a man is throwing a, a, a great banquet and has invited a lot of people. Now, and everybody starts making excuses. Now, in this day, when they would have made one of these uh, banquets or, or, or suppers, they would have invited guests well off in advance. Now, they wouldn't have told them what time it was going to be, but they would have told them what day the feast was going to be on. And the reason they would do this, they didn't have refrigerators. So there was a lot of preparation that had to go into creating one of these banquets or these feasts. So these people that he's going to say, okay, the food is ready, now come, knew about the banquet. They knew that they were supposed to be at this man's house to eat on this day. But they're making excuses as to now why they can't go. He's speaking to these Jewish people that were the uh, God's chosen people that still believe that they are God's chosen people and they don't need Jesus, right? They're making excuses as to why they're not going to follow Jesus. The host becomes angry and tells his servant to go find anyone to fill the seats. Then, after his servant does that, the servant says, there's still room. I went out and I got all these people you commanded me to do, but there's still room at the table. So in his anger, he then closes the door to all those that have rejected his invitation. You could preach a sermon just on this one parable. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know who D.L. Moody is. He was a very uh, a famous preacher um, in the late 1800s. He preached his last sermon on, on this parable. Um, it, it, the uh, sermon was uh, titled Excuses. And he was so sick, he had to lean on the organ throughout his whole sermon just to keep himself upright. And that was in Kansas City. And 50 people gave their hearts and lives to Christ that day. He ended up going back to Chicago where he died a month later, but that was his last sermon just on uh, this one parable of salvation. So, um, even though we could preach a sermon on it, I, I want to give you the Notes version of it. Jesus is the man throwing the party that he desperately wants everyone to attend. The people that are making excuses are these chief Pharisees and high religious leaders. If you look back in uh, Luke 13, just before we start this dinner, 
in verse 34, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how often would I gather my, thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. So not only are they making excuses, he's saying, you're killing the messenger. I'm sending people to you. I'm sending these prophets to you to tell you the good news, and you're killing them. You're making excuses. You're pushing them away. So God becomes angry, and yes, God gets angry. I know there's a lot of people that will tell you, you know, God is, is happy all the time. He, he knows everything. He, he doesn't get angry. We see throughout the Old Testament God has a temper. God is a jealous God. He gets angry. Now the part, because he gets angry at these people that are refusing to come to him, he now opens it to anyone who accept, accepts his invitation. Okay? That's the gospel. That's the good news. God is an open invitation to all of us to join him in heaven at his dinner table. Then he tells us that anyone who rejects his invitation will be shut out. If anyone tells you that everybody goes to heaven, because I know this is becoming a popular uh, theme, where oh, everybody goes to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So all sins are forgiven, whether you want to uh, give your heart and life to him or not, we're all going to heaven. If you know someone, I would like for them to explain this parable to you, because I would love to know uh, what they have to say. And finally, I just want to read something in Proverbs to you before we uh, close. Proverbs 1, verses 24 through 33, says, Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they come call me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but I shall not find them, or they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear and evil. This is the invitation that God gives us all. He's inviting us to eat at his table. He's inviting us to give our hearts and lives to him. And he's telling us that if we choose not to do that, we are not welcome in his home. I would encourage you today, if you have not made that decision to give your heart and life to Jesus, to do that today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we just pray that if there is anyone uh, here that, that does not know your, your loving mercy and kindness, that they would uh, welcome you into their lives, Lord, that they would see that you are the only true salvation, the only way, Lord, you, you are the only way to the Father. And we just pray that for all of those that are lost, not only here, 
but in this community, in this country, in this world, Lord, that they would come to find you in your loving arms. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.